Welcome to Prairie Dock On Call, made possible by the generous support of Larson Manufacturing and many other corporations and individuals. Their gifts to the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3, provide 100% of the funding for all Prairie Dock programs. Please follow the Prairie Dock on Facebook and YouTube, and go to prairiedock.org for more information on making a charitable gift. The skin is the largest organ in the body, and dermatology seeks to ensure that everything literally skin deep continues to function properly. Dermatology 101 tonight, on call with the Prairie Doc. Health information based on science, built on trust. Good evening and welcome to the 21st season of On Call with the Prairie Doc, medical information based on science, built on trust. Thank you for joining us tonight. I'm Dr. Kelly Evans-Hullinger, your Prairie Doc host. Tonight, we will be discussing dermatology. Joining us in the studio this evening on the campus of South Dakota State University in Brookings are Dr. Mandy Greenway from Avera Medical Group Dermatology and Dr. Sarah Sarbacher from Dakota Dermatology. Welcome to our guests. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, Mandy. Yeah, Where are you from? Me. Where do you practice? What do you do? So yeah, so I am a dermatologist, so skin, mm -hmm. hair, and nails. Um, I grew up by Mount Vernon on a mm -hmm. farm out there and then um, went to school, most of my schooling in South Dakota, and then ended up back in Mitchell, South Dakota, practicing now for the last almost seven years. Yeah. How about you, Sarah? I grew up on a cattle ranch in western North Dakota, so I did all my training in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and then I moved south, <laughs> just not very far. So uh, Jim McGran and I started Dakota Dermatology in 1997, mm -hmm. so I've been in Sioux Falls ever since. Yeah, and how, how big is your group there now? Nine practitioners. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, before we start our conversation, we invite you, our audience, to submit your questions for tonight's discussion about dermatology. Viewers can contact us three ways. Call 1-888-376-6225, send an email to ask at prairiedoc.org, or ask on our Prairie Doc Facebook page. We will work to answer as many of your questions as possible given the time available. Sometimes we receive more questions than we can cover, and we apologize if we do not get to your question. To encourage you to ask early, all questions asked in the first 20 minutes will be entered into a drawing for one of our Prairie Dot gift items. The winner will be announced at the end of the program. Your question will remain anonymous, but please provide contact information when you submit your question. All right, I feel like we have to talk about sunscreen like first. This is the, if we get one thing accomplished in a dermatology show, we better do that, right? It's almost summer. What are the general rules, Sarah, about sunscreen? What, what are, the, are the main uh, points that everybody needs to remember this summer? The American Academy of Dermatology recommends an SPF of 30, so sun protection factor of 30. And when you look at all the different ones, 
definitely creams are a little bit better than sprays because mm -hmm. they're, you're, pr you're providing that barrier. I'm not a, you know, like sometimes recommendations is reapply every two hours. I feel like that's probably not very practical. Mm -hmm. um, but you can do things like you can choose to sit in the shade a little bit. You mm -hmm. can try not to be out at, you know, noon and one o'clock. Um, you can wear protective clothing. Skin cancer is really turned into an epidemic. Mm -hmm. um, and, and typically what has happened is you get sun during your whole lifetime and then you get to be 60, 70, 80, 90, and then things show up. But we're starting to see skin cancers and younger and younger people and more aggressive. And so and so remember again, like you're getting all that sun, but the worst of it shows up later. Mm -hmm. uh, so you really wanna try and be a little more careful. Uh, we've gotten as a society that I see people come in and they're like the, the color of this table and they're a white person. And you know, they're the, they, I think you probably see this too. They're always like, I wear sunscreen. And you're like, well, it's, you're not, it's not doing its job. The yeah. job is to not turn this color when you're a white person. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell us what SPF means, Mandy. Like, what is the difference between SPF 30 and SPF, you know? I, I'm yeah. someone who picks the higher number because right. I, you know, higher seems better. What does it actually mean? Right. Absolutely, so basically it's it's how, how much is protecting you against a sunburn um, mm. and how many minutes that's going to last, basically. Um, the important thing to know with SPF is, is higher is not always better. So okay. when we get from, you know, 5, 10, 15, you're increasing the amount of protection. When we get to 30, it kind of plateaus. So you really don't need SPF 50, 90, 100. The important thing, as Dr. Sarah said, is getting enough on, getting mm -hmm. a, a full layer on, mm -hmm. um, and then reapplying when you need to, or doing other sun protective measures like hats, long sleeves, sitting in the shade. But yeah. you don't necessarily need the SPF 100. It's not gonna do a whole lot more for you. Okay, I feel like I see clothing that says SPF on it. What's the difference between a piece of clothing that has that label and just your regular cotton or whatever long sleeve shirt. I'm not exactly sure, but you know, provides some protection. We always, we were always taught that uh, like a white t-shirt has an SPF of five, mm -hmm. which I, I, I think it's more than that, just because we see so many farmers who, sure. you know, from the neck up have all this damage right. and from the neck down have nothing. Sure. So clothing makes a difference. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with, you know, if the fibers are pre-treated or how tightly they're woven mm -hmm. together. So again, we've all had that really nice cozy t-shirt that's really worn through and, you you can mm -hmm. see through it, that's not giving you any protection. But yes, a tightly woven fabric or those specially treated fabrics that say UPF, great. And I've mm -hmm. had some people say that these some of these new fabrics are a lot lighter, they feel sure. better, mm -hmm. um, yeah. so that they're a little more comfortable in the heat. Yeah, maybe worth it if you're gonna be outdoors all day or something like that. Okay, we of course have lots of questions, so why don't we get to some of them? Okay, our first question from an email. We, I am very sensitive to products that have an odor. I'm having trouble finding a mosquito repellent that doesn't bother me. Do you have suggestions of products that I can use? So I guess let's talk about mosquito repellent in general. Like, is DEET safe? What do you recommend as far as mosquito repellent? And like, what, what other variables are there that maybe you could choose things that are better for your skin, I guess? Uh, I'm not a soup I'm not super knowledgeable about DEET, but you know the biggest thing with DEET is the constant the mm -hmm. higher the concentration, the more hours it works. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're, you're like it's the evening, I'm only going to be out for two hours. Well, then you could cho choose a lower concentration. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I'm not sure about the skin, sensitive. Like, do you have any suggestions? Uh, yeah, I, I don't, because yeah, I, I do recommend DEET. I mean, mm -hmm. that is really the best protection you're going to get mm -hmm. from bites. But you're right, every different company has different scents or fragrances and sure. it's unfortunately a little bit of trial and error which yeah. is hard. 
right. maybe try and put them more on it's a more on your clothing and less sure. on your skin yeah another thing where clothing can make a big difference too so okay um, we have a question how should I regularly prevent and screen for skin cancer so I guess first Mandy do you have anything to add to the prevention conversation besides sunscreen yeah. um, and be like who should Mm -hmm. be screened for skin cancer. I mean, it's not like the whole state of South Dakota can come to your guys' office. Um, who are the higher risk people? What do people need to look for? Absolutely, yeah. So with the pre prevention, sunscreen is, is the big thing you're gonna yeah. wanna do. Not tanning, so tanning beds is a huge risk factor for skin cancer, so you really need to avoid those. Um, as far as screening, you're exactly right. Um, we, I usually tell my patients, you know, it's probably a good idea to get a baseline, you know, somewhere in your 20s, and then we kind of look at your risk factors, right? Mm -hmm. Are you somebody who's out in the sun a lot? Are you somebody who's using a tanning bed? Are you somebody who has a history of skin cancer? And we can recommend tailored, but you're right, not every single person needs to come in for screening every year. Mm -hmm. People that have spots they're worried about need to be seen. Sure. People have spots that aren't healing need to be seen. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they've consistently done studies that show that not every person needs a full skin check every single year. Yeah. And right. though, you know, you think about Caucasians, the whiter you are, you know, the Irish compared mm -hmm. to the Italian, the, the whiter you are, the more risk that you have. Sure. So, and I think sometimes we forget as, you know, like the different colors of Caucasians. Yeah and how white we all up are. There's a lot of white people up here. <laughs> um, to add to that, you mentioned tanning beds, bad. We can all agree that that's bad for your skin. What about spray tans? Like, is a spray tan okay? At this point, we think it is. It, yeah. it tends to react with a protein on your skin. So it, again, and you know, you always think, um, I, I argue with my young daughter about this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like manicures and spray tans and all the stuff that, you know, people did as an adult occasionally. You know, now when sure. you start when you're a kid and do them all the time, Who knows? I think we don't quite know. Yeah. I mean, at this point we think it's safe, but mm -hmm. the repetitive, yeah. I, I think say, it's unclear. Yeah, and don't let the spray tan trick you into thinking you don't need sunscreen, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe that's the, the bigger message. Okay, great. Um, we have a caller from Rapid City who asked, what could have caused onset of eczema so late in life? Um, is it something lifestyle-wise or hereditary? So let's presume this is a, a, a patient who is older and never had eczema before and then did. I, let's back up. What's eczema? What's eczema, yeah. Mandy? Yeah. So, so eczema is kind of a generic term for okay. a type of rash on the skin, right? Mm -hmm. So when I explain eczema to patients, I tell them it's kind of like your skin is like a brick wall um, mm -hmm. and the cells are the bricks and the mortar is what holds them together, right? And people with eczema, that mortar doesn't work quite right. So it's letting too much stuff out like moisture. So your skin dries out easily, mm -hmm. you get rashes from it. There are several different types of eczema and there is a genetic type, what we call atopic dermatitis. Mm -hmm. And I do see people show up with it later in life. Um, you also can get other types of eczema, eczemas that are more common with dry skin mm -hmm. that happens over time, and that we frequently see in older age. Sure. So that's usually the case is that your, your skin gets drier as we, as we age, and, mm -hmm. and then you can start to have more eczema with that. Great. What are, what are the basics for eczema? I'm sure we're going to get asked about it. What, what are the first things people can do at home? Maybe they've been told they have eczema before and they see another area popping up. What do you tell yes. people to do at home? Well, Americans are too clean. We like, yeah. to, we like to soap and shower every day. So I always say, you know, it's okay to shower every day, but maybe don't suds head to toe. Mm. And then nice lotions over top. One of my favorites is CeraVe cream. It's a nice heavy one without being greasy. Or you could use plain old Vaseline. Mm -hmm. That's a nice, you know, if you're really, really getting dry. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you don't need a lot of products. You know, sometimes we do right. too many products. So um, again, like less less soap, maybe let bathing, bathing a little bit less, a little emollients, any kind of lotion cream. There's mm -hmm. lots out there. Mm -hmm. Great, okay. Um, we've got a caller wondering what she can do to strengthen her nails because they are very thin. Let's talk about nails a little bit. I get this question a lot and I don't, I don't often have a lot of good advice for people, honestly. What do you tell patients? You know, I have like the worst nails on the planet. <laughs> and I think, you know, you'd, sometimes it's just genetics. You know, like mm -hmm. I've always had thin nails that I can break and then I have friends who have these beautiful nails. And so part of it is genetics. Yeah. I've tried a lot of things over the years and I never think, you know, I've tried biotin, calcium, gelatin, and mm -hmm. I never think it does much. Yeah. I, I agree. I think um, biotin, I feel like some people have some benefit, much more so than for hair. Um, I don't like it for hair very much, but for nails. But yeah, a lot of it is just genetics. And as your skin gets drier, our nails get drier too, and they yeah. get more brittle. And most over-the-counter, like hair and nails, vitamins, supplements are biotin primarily, right? Correct. Is what you're talking about. Okay, yeah. great. Um, sorry if you don't sorry. have the best nails. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A viewer is wondering who she should consult about a plantar wart on her foot. Is a dermatologist, a podiatrist, maybe their general practitioner. What, do we, what can we do for warts? And you know, who's the best person to do it? Warts are hard. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the skin experts are saying warts are hard, I hate warts. Okay, so yeah, we're those, all validated. Right, yeah. you have those people come in and they're like, my friend had it frozen once and it went away. And you're like, I wish. Yeah. Uh, and any of those, you know, everybody kind of takes care of warts mm -hmm. because we're not that good at getting rid of warts and we what we try to do is we try to create a little bit of an immune reaction so that your body gets involved and so I always tell people chronic irritation you know even just the over-the-counter and you're gonna have to use it for months at a time but put it by your bed every night you know put it on mm -hmm. a bed put it on a bed put it on a bed just that chronic irritation make them a little sore and rubbed up mm -hmm. I agree I, I have a picture that I saw patients that I took at a medical conference and it was all the treatments that we've tried for warts and it was a PowerPoint slide of about a hundred different treatments mm -hmm. and anytime we have a hundred treatments for something it means nothing works great. So <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. It's not just you. Viruses. <laughs> um, all right. So I mean the answer to the question is either would be fine, right? Yes. I mean yeah. they, start they with some all over have, the, yeah, all of them start mm -hmm. with some over the counter, irritate, irritate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But a lot of people can help you do the the basic liquid nitrogen and some of the things we can do in the clinic too. Okay. We have a viewer who has psoriasis and is using a steroid cream but it is getting worse. What would the next step be? All right, let's back up. What is psoriasis? And there's a big spectrum of treatment for psoriasis at this point, right, Sarah? Yes. Yeah. Psoriasis is a skin disease where you make skin too quickly. Like normally your skin, mm. as, as Dr. Greener was talking about, your skin matures in about six weeks and it really is kind of like a brick wall. And with psoriasis, you're making skin in like 10 days. You're just making all the skin. And the classic is you get spots on your elbows and your knees. Mm. And the thought is maybe that you, those bony areas, you injure a little bit and grow a little psoriasis. Can be genetic, mm -hmm. can not, it just can be sporadic. There's kind of a couple peaks, like sometimes in your 20s and then sometimes in your 50s or mm -hmm. 60s, it'll pop up. 
Um, and it, it is a it's a frustrating disease. And and typically we say be gentle, moisturize. Topical steroids are a big thing. Cortisone mm -hmm. creams that we use. Uh, but there is a whole array of treatments now that we didn't have 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And one of our most common things, it's a big, aggressive, expensive medications where people self-inject these medications. Um, they're called biologics, and they can be—they've been pretty life-changing for people who yeah. have extensive psoriasis. You know, they really are for extensive psoriasis because they're very expensive. But there's there's kind of the the last I'd say 15 years, the array of things to treat mm -hmm. psoriasis is finally there's finally some very good drugs, but mm -hmm. they take some effort and yeah. And there's some reasons that patients maybe couldn't take them because they, yes. had, of course, have risks. I feel like I see a lot of psoriasis because I see patients with other diseases, and psoriasis goes with so many other diseases, especially of the autoimmune sort. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, Mohs surgery, which was developed in the 1930s by Dr. Frederick Mohs, is a special procedure to treat skin cancer. Prairie Doc reporter Sam Shower shares more on this procedure. Mohs surgery is a specialized procedure to check for skin cancer, according to Dr. Jenny Nelson of Avera Medical Health. She checks for skin cancer in the face. So if you have a skin cancer like a basal cell or a squamous cell on your face, uh, particularly eyelids, lips, nose, ears, those are really good um, tumors to utilize Mohs for because we want to get a really high cure rate and take a small margin as we can. The patients come to Dr. Nelson after being alerted they have skin cancer from a biopsy. And then in contrast to the biopsy, instead of just taking a little piece of the skin cancer, our goal is to cut all the way around and then under it. And then goes to Dr. Nelson to look at. Then instead of having the tissue sit in formalin and going to a regular uh, histology lab, we freeze the tissue right here and then cut it and stain it so I can look at it under the microscope. She checks to see if the removed tissue is positive, meaning she didn't cut all the cancer out. If we're positive, we can go just back to where it's positive and take more. If it's clear, meaning we got margins all the way around and under that tumor, then we'll go ahead and fix it. Dr. Nelson warns patients about the length of their stay at her clinic, which she says is unpredictable. About two thirds of the time we get that tumor out in the first stage, we call it, or the first cut. But sometimes, and it's unpredictable, sometimes it takes two times, three times, four times, five times. And if you're unlucky and it takes that long, then you may be here for several hours to almost the full day. And patients leaving after most surgery will notice a scar on their face. There's no way to take a skin cancer off someone's face without leaving a scar. But Dr. Nelson assures patients that after a couple weeks, the scar will not be noticeable. So I tell people, you know, you're going to notice this for several weeks um, to a couple months. But then my goal is when you're having dinner with someone, no one is going to bring that scar up and ask you about it. You'll see it in the mirror, um, especially when you're you know, using your tweezers or looking in a magnified mirror. You're going to be able to find that scar, but it should look normal and blend in with the rest of your skin. So, Sarah, you do Mohs surgery also. Yes. What kind of skin cancers do we do Mohs surgery for? Because it's not all of them, right? 
You, you can do them for okay. all of them, but uh, typically we do basal cell yeah. and squamous cell. Okay. Um, and then melanoma you can do, or like a lentical malignant, but you need just different special stains to do that. Got it. Um, so takes a little bit yeah, more as far as the lab part of it Less goes. common. Yeah. And most melanoma, you wouldn't necessarily, you know, if it was in an area that you didn't need to conserve tissue, you wouldn't necessarily, you know, sure. if you had a, it on your face, then we do yeah. a little bit more there, but got it. less common. Yeah, got it. We talked a little bit before uh, that first roll-in about fair-skinned people being yes. more high risk for things like skin cancer. Do do people of all spectrums on the, on the skin tone uh, chart get all the same conditions? Do they look different on people of different skin colors? What would you say about that, Mandy? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things we learn in dermatology is, is how things look in skin of color. It is different um, and sure. it's a different skill set. And, and absolutely, um, most conditions can happen in any skin color you mm -hmm. have, including skin cancer. A mm -hmm. lot of people think that, you know, if you have darker skin and really don't get sunburned very often and you're not really worried about that, you absolutely can still have skin cancer. So mm -hmm. um, it's less common, but we see it and we do check for it. Yeah, and I, I feel like I remember reading about our, our probably our dermatology and other textbooks haven't always been great about showing examples in yeah, all different so skin tones. Yes. And so there's been some projects out there to make that database better. Absolutely. Is that happening in dermatology? Yeah, yes, yeah. for sure. Yeah. But but definitely people people with skin of color, they are they're way better protected. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you have a black person or Latino compared to again, I always use the Irish as an example. <laughs> I mean they you know, those Irish people grow skin cancers at a far dramatically high rate compared to the other, you know, compared to native color. And people of color tend to age a little nicer too, like mm -hmm. they don't tend to get the wrinkles and fine lines and brown spots, so they're, mm -hmm. they're a little luckier. <laughs> All right, um, we have a ton of viewer questions, so thanks to our viewers for that. We'll start speeding through them a little bit better. We have a Facebook question. I have stage three liver disease. Can this cause itching on my arms and chest and back, and what can I do to stop the symptoms? So I guess, tell us about like just itching without a rash. This is a hard condition to this, counsel people through too, isn't it? Really is. Yes. It's really frustrating for patients and yeah. for us as well. But absolutely, if I have somebody come in and they're there with itching and I don't mm -hmm. see a rash on them, I kind of have a list of things I look for and liver disease is absolutely one of mm -hmm. them. Um, and kind of the worse the liver disease gets, the, the more they itch. Mm -hmm. um, kidney disease is also another really common mm -hmm. one I see that causes itching. So one of, one of my favorite treatments for um, itching with liver disease is a medication called naltrexone, which oh. we um, use actually for like alcohol addiction. Yes, um, use, yeah, which I is really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but in a very low dose, has been shown to be helpful with itching. Interesting, I'll so, remember that. Okay, um, but yeah, there's a whole host of we have a nice little algorithm we kind yeah. of work through because it, it is really hard. frustrating for patients for yeah. sure. Okay, we have a viewer who had a puzzling rash. She went to several physicians before someone recommended a special diet, a FODMAP diet, which helped immensely. Um, are there dietary things that can contribute to skin conditions, Sarah? And I guess I, I can't deduce what the rash might have been when, by reading this, yes. but maybe you can. Uh, yeah, I think that's always been a little bit controversial. Yeah, you know how enough. much okay. you know how much does food play into skin rashes? Mm -hmm. um, I think traditionally dermatologists have poo-pooed that a little bit more, but we're learning more all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, hard to say. Okay. Fair enough. Um, a caller in their 80s with skin getting thin and bruises easily. Um, so this is a great question. Would, would a collagen supplement help with those problems, including the easy bruising and the thinning skin? Um, 
what would you say about the yeah, collagen supplements? I, I feel like this is another hot thing that you see all over, right? Yeah. I tell my patients that I think the jury's still out. I, I don't think TikTok. The technology is quite there yet, so I don't recommend them in general. Yeah. I think a lot of the easy bruising is, is sun damage. You know, ask them. Mm. A lot of times we see it on our forearms, right. right? That's where we get the sun, and the rest of your body doesn't seem to bruise as easily. So biggest thing is, you know, padding. Wear, wear mm -hmm. long sleeves, sunscreen, lots of lotion. Keep that skin barrier as healthy as possible. Mm -hmm. I'm not recommending them routinely. I agree. Point. I think at this point there's no great evidence that yeah. do if you do absorb them, do they do anything for you? So I'm... I'm a skeptic. Yeah. The, I, there was a study where they used, they tried two different lotions. One was called Amlactin, and then the other one was called Dermend. And people who use those twice a day got less bruising. It's not magical, but maybe it helps a little bit. Mm -hmm. I tend to like Dermend because Amlactin, I think, smells kind of funny. Mm. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, I see so many patients with this just because I see a lot of yes. older patients and mostly I tell them like it's not a big deal. Um, mostly cosmetic, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, we have a caller who had a mole that disappeared for two months then came back and hurt. Is this something serious or should they leave it alone and watch it? I guess what would you say about that history, Sarah? I'd go see somebody. Yeah. That makes you a little bit nervous. What does that mean? Yeah. And maybe it's not even a mole. Maybe it's one of our more right. common skin growths called a seborrheic keratosis. Could right. be nothing, but yeah, you know, moles make us nervous. Yeah, fair enough. You got, you got to see it. Sometimes these are hard questions to answer based on description. Okay. Um, we have a viewer who asked about eyelid, cheek, and neck moles that have shown up in the last five years and should they have them looked at. So I guess let's talk about new moles in adults. We all have, most of us have a mole that or two that we were born with, but what about a new mole? Probably a lot of these are what you just said, a seborrheic keratosis, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's usually what I see. So I, I tell people, you're probably not getting true moles, you know, past 30s, maybe early 40s, but you're going to get sunspots and you're going to get these benign seborrheic keratoses and they can look very similar to moles. And so mm -hmm. I always tell people, you know, best case scenario, you come in, I, I reassure you, mm -hmm. you leave feeling happy. It's better doing that than sitting on a dark right. spot that you're worried about. Right. Yeah. To get it checked. I say the same thing as a primary care physician, like no worries. If you ever are worried about something, then just come in so we can look at it. Yes. Yeah. And melanoma can really come from two sources. You can have an existing mole mm -hmm. that changes into a melanoma, but more commonly you grow a new melanoma but you think it's a mole because it's a brown spot got it so it, like any any new brown spots over 40 that look like a mole like that well, those make us nervous just get it looked at fine okay um, we have a you were asking about skin tags is there a good home or over-the-counter remedy for skin tags or what what do you do in clinic for skin tags if people are bothered by them we numb them and snip them and yeah. so you could theoretically snip them at home they and they bleed a little bit but if you could you know put a little pressure mm -hmm. put a little band-aid on you know in the olden days sometimes people would tie like a little string around them you could do that yeah Maybe a little alcohol first. Yeah. <laughs> right. A little rubbing alcohol, make sure you're doing it clean, yes. right? Yes. I also will recommend over-the-counter wart freeze-off. Yeah, you know, it's sure. not in a really sensitive location, so you can do that okay. too. All right. Um, we have a viewer asking about a condition called acrolentiginous melanoma. Tell us what that is. So yeah, basically it's a type of melanoma on the acral surfaces, so like um, hands, feet, palms, and soles mm -hmm. generally. So it's a much less common type of melanoma. We usually see melanoma in areas that are really sun damaged, right? And obviously on the palms mm -hmm. and the soles of our feet, that's not sun damage. So a lot of times that's you know more genetic, um, and that is actually one of the more common skin cancer, one of the more common types of melanoma that we see in skin of color is, mm. is on the palms and the mm -hmm. soles. So okay. 
fancy words for yes. things that could be explained easier. Yeah. That's classic <laughs> dermatology, right? <laughs> okay. Um, we had a viewer who asks, how large should a lymphoma be before it is removed? Um, so I, sometimes this is hard to interpret everything that's meant. Let's let's assume we're talking about the cutaneous type of lymphoma. So can you tell us a little bit about like a? Or do you mean they mean lipoma? I don't know. It says a lymphoma. lymphoma. Let's let's cover both. Right. Yeah. Okay. So a lymphoma would be a cancer. Yeah. And you can have a surface kind, but. Uh, <laughs> I would say maybe Those are not less common, right? Yeah. Exactly. Like the, that's an uncommon thing that you'd yeah. be seeing a doctor for. Yeah. Um, maybe a lipoma, which yeah. is like a like a soft lump beneath mm -hmm. your skin, and you they in general they're not anything bad. You don't have mm -hmm. to have them taken off. They a lot of times they slowly grow, so they can be taken off. Right. But it, really, it's Just when it when it you. bugs you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, very good. We have an email asking about nail fungus and does it respond to laser therapy? Is it is that a yay or nay? I I have never recommended it. I think that yeah. I think um, our viewers are sending us all of the really hard things. I know. I know. Nail fungus. Nail fungus. Yeah. I think that that has been a little bit more of a podiatry, mm -hmm. and I certainly have had people who who has felt have, have mm -hmm. felt like that has helped. Nail fungus can, is another one that can it's be a difficult. Our, yeah. Toenail, our toenails grow slowly. Um, so I think potentially it could be, I, again, I'm like you, I don't have any experience with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hard to treat though, one of those other things. Okay, um, let's see, what can you do about big dark blemishes on your back or skin tags on your neck for older people? Um, so I guess let's, let's assume again, that maybe these are seborrheic keratoses. Is there a reason to treat those or take them off ever, Mandy? So what I tell patients are, you're gonna keep getting more. Everybody has them. Everybody hates them. Um, when I <laughs> when I treat them is if they're bothersome, right? If they're getting caught on your clothes, mm -hmm. if they're hurting, if they're bleeding, if they're itching all of the time, then it's worth it to treat it. Um, it I will have people that will want to come in and you know want them all treated, but that gets really painful and really expensive, and I don't necessarily recommend that. So yeah. if they're bothering you, right? If it's an everyday nuisance it's probably worth getting rid of it. Great, okay. Um, we had an email asking, is laser treatment safe for your complexion? Um, so I'm, it's maybe a, a big question. What do we, we use lasers for in dermatology, Sarah? I guess let's start there. Uh, probably the most common thing that we use lasers for are like the birthmarks, you know, like okay. the red birthmarks that people will have. Um, and then you can do different things, like there are wrinkle lasers, or you know, sure. lasers are, you know, it's a big spectrum of right. what that encompasses. And, and then we also have things like intense pulse lights, IPLs, and those are a little bit more um, for like brown spots, red spots, mm -hmm. um, to try and make them look better. So I, yes, it can help with complexions, but I, there's a lot of different lasers for different things. Yeah. Right, and so I mean, under an expert's right guidance, right? right. Not and all lasers will help with every condition. Yes, and you know we mm -hmm. have a hair laser that can get rid of hair. Yeah. And, you know, so there's really a, a gamut. Yeah, and they're not all the same. Like, what, what's different same. about the laser then? Like, what's different between the hair laser and the birthmark laser? Right, different wavelengths. Okay, so right, the and light different. Is yes, different, different yes. color absorbs different things. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Well, a myth is a story that's told again and again and serves to explain why something is the way it is, but what if the myth is wrong? Join Dr. Mandy Greenway as she talks with On Call about dermatology myths. Number 10 myth I hear is that washing your face will prevent acne. 
So this is actually a myth. Um, acne is very genetic um, and hormonal and has really nothing to do with how often you wash your face. So yes, if your face is dirty, please wash it, but no amount of washing your face is gonna get rid of acne. So number nine myth I hear is that skin cancer can't kill you. Even though most skin cancer is very treatable um, and usually requires not very aggressive treatments, skin cancer absolutely can kill you. So if we ignore it or don't see a doctor in time, you can run into problems. So please see a dermatologist. The number eight myth that I hear is that natural treatments are always safer and better. This is a very big myth I hear. Unfortunately, natural does not equal safe or does not equal um, good. Um, one example I give people is poison ivy, right? That's natural and it grows around us all. You don't wanna rub it on your skin. So natural does not equal better. Number seven myth I see is that food allergies are a common cause of eczema. Food allergies can cause eczema, but it's not very common. So you wanna see a dermatologist, get some good skincare tips and medicines. You can't cut out foods until your eczema goes away. See a doctor to figure out what's going on. Number six myth I hear is that tanning or spray tanning before a vacation can help prevent sunburns. Big myth, so spray tanning does not do anything to prevent burning while you're on vacation, and tanning does not give you very much protection at all. A base tan is only equivalent to an SPF of about four, and that's not the sunscreen you would normally use. So use your sunscreen, go with your normal skin color, do not tan before a vacation. Number five myth I hear is that drinking lots of water is gonna keep your skin hydrated. That's not really how it works. Drinking lots of water is good for lots of other reasons, but it's not gonna do anything to keep your skin hydrated. For that, you need moisturizer, and specifically moisturizer right out of the shower when your skin still has that wetness on it. Number four myth I hear is that Vaseline is gonna clog your pores. This is actually a big myth, and it seems like it should be true because it's really greasy, but it doesn't actually create that clog in the pores. So I recommend Vaseline all the time for a good moisturizer. It's great for babies that have really sensitive skin or that really severe winter dryness, especially after a winter like we just had. The number three myth I hear is that you need lots of sunshine in order to get enough vitamin D. This is not true, so it only takes about 15 minutes of direct sunlight to get all of the vitamin D that our body is going to convert. There are a much better way to get it is to through the foods or through a supplement, get your sunscreen on, prevent that skin cancer, don't worry about getting vitamin D from the sun. The number two myth I hear is that wounds need to get air in order to heal. That's not actually true. So if you get a cut or a scratch or we do surgery on you, you wanna wash your skin with soap and water and then keep it moist with something like plain Vaseline and a Band-Aid. We don't want it to form a scab. The number one myth I hear is that you don't need to use sunscreen year round. This is actually a big myth. So even in South Dakota, where we have a lot more sun exposure in the summer, we accumulate sun damage year round. So make sure you're using a base layer of sunscreen on your face, your neck, your hands, summer, spring, fall, and winter. Thank you, Mandy, for sharing your wisdom about the myths of skin cancer. One of those was about the, the skin cancer and, the, you know, we, we do, we probably are a little nonchalant about things like skin cancer and every once in a while, 
you know, it's rare that something like a basal cell carcinoma spreads and can cause death, but it does happen. So we still want to remove those, right? What else would you yes. add to that, Sarah? The, you know, it used to be when I started out that we would see a few squamous cells in a year, and now we see squamous sure. cells every week, and squamous cells can be aggressive. Mm -hmm. And and I think, and again, we talked about how you get all the sun during your lifetime, and then the radiation damage shows up when you're older. But, but it's going to happen in, you know, that people are going to start dying more of skin cancer, which is frightening to mm -hmm. think, you know, like a healthy person could die from a skin cancer. But uh, again, like it's people are more and more careless about the sun. Mm -hmm. um, we don't cover up as much. And mm -hmm. so we, it's the trend is going in the wrong direction. Why do we think that is? Is it a environmental or climate change as far as or like difference in the ozone or like what is it? I, well, I think it's a it's a change in sun habits. So I yeah. see my you know eighty plus year old farmers, right? They got sun damage on their on their lower face, their neck, and their hands, and mm -hmm. they always wear a wide straw brim hat, mm -hmm. long sleeves. They covered up in the sun. They knew to do that. And then we get you know my parents' generation that now they're taking their shirts off a little bit more. Now they're wearing short sleeves. Mm -hmm. They're not wearing hats as much. And then we get you know to my generation are a little bit older, and now we have recreational sun exposure, mm -hmm. right? We're out. We're out in swimsuits. We're tanning, we're going on vacations and yeah. tanning beforehand. And, and so I think, yeah, we just are getting a lot more sun damage on our whole body than we did 80 years ago. Just more of yes. a, a cultural shift yes. more so than actual. Okay. Or, or people say like, well, I'm not laying out in the sun, I'm working out in the sun. You're like, well, it's the same difference. Right. The sun doesn't care. Or, you know, we, see, we, write, we see so many people now that their back is one big freckle. You know, mm -hmm. you're like, that's just not good. Yeah. Okay, we'll get back to some viewer questions here. Uh, we had a caller ask about a flaky, crusty spot on the ear. What could this be? Ears are going to be a high risk spot yes. for skin cancer, yes. right? Yeah. Yes, ears and lips we worry the most yeah. about. It could just be a little precancer. We call it an actinic keratosis. Sure. It can be frozen, but ears and lips always pay more attention to. Yeah. And I, when, I, when patients ask me about ear things in particular, I say, let's figure this out soon because there's not a lot of extra skin on the ear to work with, right, if you have to remove something. Yeah. Do you find that a challenging place to do surgery? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And those are ones I'm usually kind of referring on to most surgery. I tell yeah. them, even I as a dermatologist aren't doing surgeries there, so we gotta catch those soon. Yeah. If there's something that you're worried about on an ear, get it checked out. Good, okay. We had an email saying, I've been itchy all over for the last month. It keeps me awake at night. I've been using lotions day and night without relief. I've monitored and cut back on certain medications and stopped all over-the-counter supplements, still itchy. Um, so you talked a little bit about some chronic things. Like, t let's assume this is a really healthy person that doesn't have any kidney or liver disease. Right. What do you tell a patient like that? What do they do? I know, it's really hard. So You one, mentioned there's a, a medication out there. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, so it kind of depends on what the cause is and there's mm -hmm. different treatments. And as you said, you know, one thing I find sometimes is iron deficiency is something oh. that someone that's otherwise young and healthy mm -hmm. doesn't really feel sick sometimes can cause itching. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's, it's a lot of moisturization. It's, you know, seeing somebody to see if there's something they can see in your skin that maybe sure. you're not able to see. Okay. Um, there are some lotions that have ingredients in them that mm -hmm. help to kind of distract the nerves. Yeah. Um, so CeraVe anti-itch with Pramoxine is one I recommend a lot. Okay. And I would say that person probably needs to be evaluated. Yeah. Like they've done, you know, all the right things mm -hmm. and now should dig a little deeper. Yeah. Yep. Do antihistamines tend to help this kind of stuff? Yeah. I love antihistamines. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I feel like it depends on kind of the cause, yeah. you know, um, but yeah, sure. I, I usually recommend it. It's a good place to start. Absolutely. Sure. Okay, good. Um, we have a, a question saying surgery 
for pleomorphic sarcoma on the scalp. Can you explain what what is pleomorphic sarcoma? Sounds like a scary word. That, I mean, very yeah. uncommon. I've never yeah. seen a pleomorphic sarcoma okay. on the scalp. Okay. So, you know, they need to be at a specialty center for right, something like right. that. Yeah. You know, they, I mean, yeah. yeah, I've never taken one of those. A sarcoma off. isn't per se a skin cancer, right? Like, where does a sarcoma come from? Yeah, so it's it's basically deeper tissues, yeah. um, and of course we can see it in the skin as well. And pleomorphic means weird shaped cells, and so yeah, it's it's not a common thing that we see on the scalp. So yeah, yeah, it would depend on various things, but yeah, okay. Um, we had a viewer who has undergone a stem cell transplant and is now experiencing cracking toenails. Is there anything he can do to fix this? about nails a little bit. Yeah, cracking oh. toenails. Can that be a drug effect or anything like that? I don't know. And you're like, is it, how is it cracking? Yeah. Like, you know, uh, what's the later, horizontal? Maybe a question that requires someone to look at it. Yeah. Let's take that opportunity, I guess, to talk about like, um, this is another good category of patients that have had either organ transplants that are immunosuppressed or, you know, other immunosuppressed, like, those people should see a dermatologist yeah, regularly, so right, Mandy? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yep. And a lot of uh, the transplant physicians are really good about mm -hmm. that. I have a large population of patients that it just knocks your knocks your immune system back, so you need to be seeing a dermatologist. Yeah, and I, I, the, the underlying reason, right, is that our immune system actually keeps precancers in check. Is that yes. the wisdom, right? Yes. And so as soon as you suppress that, it's easier to get skin cancers. Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, what can you do about dark aging spots to lighten them? A question from Custer. I, that's really hard. So again, yeah. it depends on if you're talking about sunspots or um, those seborrheic keratoses. All of the over-the-counter dark spot creams are not gonna do anything for the seborrheic keratoses, mm -hmm. and that's the most common thing I Got see. It. it seems like the thicker they get, the darker they get. So lots of lotion to keep them you know, smooth for you can help. Mm -hmm. um, if it's more sunspots, there are some creams we can recommend or lasers. Mm -hmm. Biggest thing, no matter what it, the dark spot is, sunscreen, sunscreen, sunscreen. So sun to is gonna darken. Darker. Yeah. Yeah, sunscreen's gonna darken every spot. Okay, great. In that category of uh, intense pulse lights, like they, they are really great, to, uh -huh. but it's a cosmetic treatment. You know, right. It's not covered by insurance or anything like that, but they really do help lift that thing. And, and again, they, but the older you get, the more you hate your brown spots. <laughs> um, we have a question, when do you use FUDEC? So what, tell us what FUDEX yes. is, Sarah, and what patients do yes. you prescribe that to? So FUDEX is an anti-cancer cream in our hands, but it can be uh, an, uh, a medicine that you can yeah. inject to. So it's got a, it, but it's, a, it's basically a chemotherapy drug. Mm -hmm. And we try to persuade people all the time to put it on their faces to help, with, to help get rid of some of that sun damage. It makes you look terrible. Mm -hmm. um, so it gives you some downtime. But again, we, we use it all the time. And again, that's, I, I try and sell that stuff every day. So people will, hopefully you'll have, I tell people like, hopefully you are gonna have less pre-cancers, maybe less skin cancers. Mm -hmm. like, and the added benefit, it does make your skin look better when you're done, but you turn into a bright red sore apple while you're doing yeah. it. So are these typically patients who have already had a number of precancers and skin cancers yes. that you're you're prescribing this to? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yes. All that kind of rough skin. They've had a lifetime mm -hmm. of sun. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, we have a few of those people in our state, right? Yeah, put some farmers on ec Epidex, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I like to tell them it's kind of like, you know, you are spraying your field, you know, field of crops for weeds, right? Do you go out and pluck everyone? That's like us freezing everyone. Or do you <laughs> spray the whole field? That's that's oh, Epidex. The, true so, prairie, the prairie I dermatologist, yes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm going to sell them on that. <laughs> All right, we have an email question about shingles. So let's talk about shingles, and we, we can talk about the vaccine afterwards. So what is shingles? Shingles and how does it usually look? Shingles Sarah. is a miserable condition yeah. and it's the chicken pox virus that we had when we were kids and now reactivates and it tends to be uh, kind of a line of blisters and it mm -hmm. just goes over half your body mm -hmm. um, and it can be incredibly painful. It's a, mis it's a miserable condition. It yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so we typically treat with antiviral pills and then I've always been a big fan if you can depending on where it's located to do like send you to a pain or an anesthesiologist and you can do like an epidural like we do for pregnant women when they deliver um, to help block that nerve and I've had really great success with that mm -hmm. and I think now um, with our you know we're on the second generation yeah. of shingles virus or, um, vaccines mm -hmm. yeah they're great I love them yeah yeah. Shingles can wreck your life. Yeah. I tell people if you have any, if you think it could be shingles, don't hesitate, don't wait it out yes. because the longer you wait, the less we have to help you, right? The yes. antivirals only work, what, like what are our guidelines? Yeah, First I, two days is yeah, what we're supposed to do, Two to three right? days yeah. and beyond that, it's not really gonna do anything for you. Yeah. But I, yeah. I'm just so excited for you know the next generation of people that haven't had chicken pox because right. they've been vaccinated. Yes. It's gonna be life-changing. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes. yeah, right. We, we may not need a shingles Absolutely. vaccine, but for the record, a shingles vaccine exists. It's for anyone over 50, it's two shots and highly effective, much more effective than the old Zostavax was actually. So, yes. um, and it's not a live virus. So I have patients who, for whatever reason, immunosuppression or you know what have you, always said, I can't get the shingles vaccine because I can't get live virus vaccines. Well, that's not true of this one, so. And it's, I think it's down to 50 now, isn't it? Yeah, 50, yeah, it's 50, 50 years of age. Yep, 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 great. Okay, we have a viewer calling wondering about straight lines or or grooves in her fingernails. Um, she's trying to moisturize them, but that's not helping. Is there anything to get rid of the grooves? Another nail question, you know, what would hard. you say? So most of the times, if it's just really thin, you know, shallow grooves kind of running along the length of the nail, mm -hmm. it is just, again, kind of age, genetic related, lots mm -hmm. of moisturization. You can file them to keep them smooth. If they're, you know, not just really shallow, if you have other problems with your nails, there's a lot of skin conditions that have mm -hmm. nail findings, and so, if it's at all, you know, worrisome, yeah, get it checked out because it could be something else and we might be able to treat it, but a lot of times it's just a lot of moisturization and filing. Yeah, good. The, the nail experts would always say that ridges on your nails are like wrinkles on your face, like ah. they kind of come with age. And I feel like they show up in your thumbs first. Mm. Like you get kind of these little longitude mm -hmm. bumps. Mm -hmm. File them down. One of those other prizes for getting older, <laughs> yes, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, we, a question, could nerves cause or let's say nerves or stress cause itchy spots that welt up. So I guess let's talk about hives. It sounds like hives. Um, this is another tough one. You guys have some tough stuff that you deal with in your clinic. Gosh, what are hives and can they be caused by things like stress and that kind of thing? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So hives, the other name is urticaria. Mm -hmm. um, these are kind of red, welty spots that show up on our body and they're usually pretty quick. They show up and they go away always within a day. Um, very, very itchy and very miserable. And a lot of times it can be from you know, an illness you had, a virus mm -hmm. or something or a medication, but stress absolutely can cause it. And, and I actually get a, one stress hive right under my eyeglasses. I'm like, 
<laughs> my staff can always tell when I'm getting stressed because I have a little, they're like, oh, it's, she's getting stressed. Yeah. So, uh, yes, absolutely you yeah. can. And antihistamines are the best things for those. So you Great. can take them a few yeah. times a day. I feel like this is another condition that people really assume is an allergy. I must have eaten something. But most common, it's not usually, right, Sarah? I, I think yeah. we don't know. Yeah. Right, like we just, we're just not A lot of people sure. get them and we don't necessarily nope. figure it out at yeah, all. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, um, great. Uh, last question, we're in our last minute. I have several red spots on my nose that fade in and out. What could cause this? So red spots that come and go on in the face. Could be rosacea, yeah. which is kind of like adult acne, okay. or could be little broken blood vessels. Uh -huh. if, they, if they come and go, probably not anything concerning. Yeah unless it bothers you more. Right. Probably something you could watch, okay. Great. Thank you guys so much. The winner of our prize tonight is Donna from Yankton. Thank you, Donna, for asking a question during the first 20 minutes of the show. A gift will be sent to you. We'll be back after this. Miss an episode or looking for a specific topic? Head to our YouTube channel or website, prairiedoc.org, today to access all on call with the Prairie Doc episodes. And make sure to join us most Thursdays on SDPB and Facebook for new shows. Spring is finally here in the Northern Plains and summer feels just around the corner. As all we Northerners know, as soon as the temperatures hit even a mild degree on the thermometer, most of us shed the jackets and long pants and our skin is front and center. The sunny season is prime season for mosquitoes and ticks, along with the itchy bites and all the unpleasant infections they can carry. Different species of mosquitoes and ticks can transmit different bacteria and viruses, and around the U.S. we have some specific diseases to be concerned about. West Nile virus is an endemic seasonal virus spread by mosquitoes through much of the United States. Common symptoms include fever, headache, and muscle aches. The most severe cases involve the brain and central nervous system. In these cases, paralysis and even death can occur. No vaccine or targeted treatment exists for West Nile virus, so the best thing we can do is minimize mosquito bites. This means wearing loose-fitting clothing to cover skin and a good insect repellent. The most commonly used EPA-approved insect repellent, DEET, is an excellent record of being safe and effective. Ticks come with their own risks. The most commonly known tick-borne disease is Lyme disease, but there are numerous tick-borne diseases endemic in different parts of the US, depending on the distribution of the ticks themselves that carry those diseases. Lyme disease is spread by the black-legged tick, or deer tick, commonly found in the Northeast and near the Great Lakes. While here in South Dakota, we tend to have few annual cases of Lyme disease, it is much more common just to the east in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Again, when it comes to ticks, avoidance is best. If you plan to spend time in a grassy or wooded area, dress to make it hard for ticks to get to your skin with long pants. After your outdoor activity, bathe or shower and check your skin for ticks so they can be removed as soon as possible. The longer a tick is attached, the more likely they are to spread disease. If you do get a tick bite and are in a place where tick-borne disease is prevalent, it is a good idea to call or see your medical provider and provide them with a picture of the tick if you can. Antibiotics are indicated in many tick-borne diseases, so don't hesitate to go in when you have concerns about that. Being outdoors is my favorite part about summer. 
to enjoy it safely, protect your skin from the pests looking for exposed skin to bite. Thank you to our guests, Dr. Sauerbacher and Dr. Greenway for volunteering their time to help us learn more about dermatology. If you would like to see and hear more episodes of this program, please like and follow us on Facebook and YouTube, or visit us at prairiedoc.org. Look for Prairie Doc Perspectives in your local newspaper and online, and be sure to look for the podcast of this program, Prairie Doc On Call, wherever you get your podcasts. Before we close this evening, we want to give a shout out to Dr. Thomas Dean, one of our board members for Prairie Doc Programming. Dr. Dean was selected as an inductee for the South Dakota Hall of Fame class of 2023. Dr. Dean is an advocate and a voice for rural healthcare in our state and strives toward national policies that can help develop a healthcare system that responds to individual needs in underserved areas. Thank you, Dr. Dean, for your service to healthcare in South Dakota. From all of us here at On Call with the Prairie Doc, thank you for joining us for another episode of health information based on science, built on trust. Until next time, stay healthy out there, people. live show of the season, we end where we began. It's our viewers' favorite show topic, Ask Anything. Next time on Call with the Prairie Doc. The vitality of a rural community is closely tied to the health of its population. Hello, I'm Dr. Tom Dean. I grew up on a farm west of Wessington Springs, South Dakota. After completing medical training nearly 50 years ago, my wife Kathy and I came back to Wessington Springs to provide health care and to raise our family. All my life, I've been an advocate for rural communities. Rural residents often encounter barriers that limit their ability to obtain the care they need. In order for rural residents to have the best health care outcomes, appropriate health care services must be available in a timely manner. The foundation of good health care is good health information. Prairie Doc Programming provides rural communities with truthful health care information based on solid science. All Prairie Doc media is free and accessible through social media and South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I am honored to be a volunteer board member of the Prairie Doc organization. I know the value of providing objective, evidence-based health care education free of charge to anyone, especially to people who have limited access to healthcare professionals. Please help us to continue the legacy of Dr. Rick Holm of providing information based on science and built on trust. I urge you to go to prairiedoc.org and make a donation today, as Kathy and I have done. If you don't feel comfortable donating online, please send our staff an email and they will send you a pledge card through the mail. Thank you for believing in and supporting our mission.
major funding for On Call with the Prairie Dog has been provided by... At Avera, our nationally recognized health system will be right here with you, with care and coverage. Hello, possibility. Hello, healthy. Larson Manufacturing is proud to support On Call with the Prairie Doc as it continues to open doors for important medical information. And with the ongoing support of these individuals and institutions, Brookings Health System, Ophthalmology Limited, South Dakota Academy of Family Physicians, Avera Heart Hospital, First Bank and Trust, Dakota Allergy and Asthma, Vance Thompson Vision, Monument Health, Black Hills Medical Society, Brookings Madison, Flandreau District Medical Society, Pierre District Medical Society, Sioux Falls District Medical Society, Yangting District Medical Society, Orthopedic Institute, Lake Ponset Sailing Academy, Aberdeen Asthma and Allergy, Dakota Bank, South Dakota American College of Physicians, and Swift Telecommunications. Communications.